No vaccine, no job, and possibly no EI. As a matter of course, typically they would not be eligible. The potential consequences for workers who refuse to get their COVID shots. Big bonuses to bring in staff. I think it reflects just how uh, desperate our industry is right now to attract labour. Extreme measures to hire new people and why some say it's not sustainable. And a baby boom in the Salish Sea. There's uh, a record-breaking number of humpback whale calves this season. What's behind the humpback comeback? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking news for you. The province has released guidelines to support school boards considering vaccine requirements for teachers. For more on that, let's bring in our Richard Zussman in Victoria. Richard, this is a roadmap for individual districts, not province-wide. Yeah, Sophie, and we have heard concerns throughout this process that the province is downloading this on individual districts, and this is what they're going ahead with. Here are the guidelines, and it doesn't just include teachers. It's any adult in the school system, so administrators, cleaners, education assistants, any parents who go into the school system. It's a multi-step process, and so every school district in this province is first being asked to go out and find out how many people in their district are immunized, and then at that point, after doing that survey, if they find the rate is high enough, they may decide a mandate isn't needed for vaccine, but then they can move on to step two. That includes getting legal advice around whether the mandate is needed in the school system. The third step is public consultation with First Nations and other community members. All of this will take time, especially in districts where many parents and families believe it is necessary to put in the mandate now. But ultimately, the province is going through this arduous process that ends up with school districts ultimately voting and making the decision on whether they believe the mandate is necessary for their specific community. All right, Richard, uh, there's been a lot of talk about this. What has reaction been to these guidelines so far? Yeah, coming out late on a Friday afternoon, Sophie, it's hard to get reaction, but I have just spoken to the B.C. Liberals. They say this is just downloading from the government, and ultimately they should be putting in a province-wide mandate, and that if this goes through as is, those districts with high rates of immunization may be the ones best protected in terms of either knowing high rates or putting in a mandate, whereas communities have lower rates of immunization, including many parts in northern B.C., they are less likely to actually approve a mandate and could leave people unprotected. We couldn't reach BCTF President Terry Mooring, but she has been consistent here. She says any mandate should be put in place province-wide, should not be done in a piecemeal approach. That piecemeal approach is exactly what's laid out here in the guidelines, and no doubt, Sophie, will reaction from the mm -hmm. Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside on Monday about exactly why the province has decided to continue to forge ahead with this, especially with so many concerns. And we'll find out if any school boards uh, will follow those guidelines yeah. and bring in a mandate. All right, thanks for that, Richard. Well, the federal government is raising the prospect of yet another serious consequence for workers who defy their employer's requirement to be vaccinated against COVID-19. As John Hua reports, one of Canada's most important social safety nets could be pulled out from under them. From the hallways of our hospitals to the steps leading into the BC legislature, mandatory vaccination policies for workers are already here or on the way. 
right now we're still in the middle of this pandemic and we need people to be vaccinated. We need workers to be vaccinated. In an interview on this week's edition of the West Block, Federal Employment Minister Carla Qualtro said those who choose to remain unvaccinated may be out of more than just their jobs. A fundamental principle of the IA program is that claimants have to lose their employment employment through no fault of their own. Uh, and this would be seen typically as a choice. At the heart of the matter is refusing to obey a mandatory vaccine policy in the workplace, not meeting a condition of employment. As far as the ministry, the employment ministry is concerned, um, that's what they're doing and that's what's going to happen. You're going to be in, the vast majority of people are going to be of employees are going to be disentitled to EI. In BC's healthcare sector where vaccinations are mandatory, about 5,500 employees have yet to receive a single dose. About 1,800 in long-term care, 300 in assisted living. 31,000 BC government service employees will need to be vaccinated by November 22nd. Following provincial averages, an estimate of 1,300 still have to decide between a shot or possible unemployment. Those who are still hesitant or those who haven't quite made up their minds yet, they need the facts. They need to know the potential outcomes of any decisions that they're making. Part of the BCGEU's education being very clear about the possible medical, professional and financial repercussions. I am so sick and tired of pseudoscience and pseudo-law negatively impacting people, whether it's job loss, whether it's illness, and in the worst of all cases, death. Others call this a cruel punishment by government, which will likely be challenged in court. Taking away basic EI coverage from from workers that have paid into it for years, I don't know, I I don't see that flying particularly well. One caution for those willing to battle for the benefit when it comes to the appeals process and getting access to that emergency cash. There's no such thing as a quick fight. John Hua, Global News. Well, the requirement that all federal MPs be vaccinated in order to return to the House of Commons is raising questions about the ability of at least one B.C. MP to do his job. Fraser Valley Conservative MP Mark Strahl, who says he is vaccinated, is on record as opposing the mandate. Imadagahi reports on how he intends to handle the new requirements and what his constituents think. Members of Parliament need to be fully vaccinated. It is a decision the Prime Minister clearly supports, and with one month before MPs from across the country are to return to the House of Commons precinct. To conduct the people's business, Trudeau thinks they should be following the same rules as those they serve. We're asking every Canadian who wants to go into a restaurant to be fully vaccinated. We should be asking the same thing of members of parliament as well. It's not too much to ask. We're all in this together. But despite this now famous message in support of vaccinations by all federal party leaders, including the conservative Aaron O'Toole during the last election. Vaccines are the best way for you to protect yourself, your family and your community. So get vaccinated. It appears members of his party, including longtime Chilliwack Hope MP Mark Strahl, opposed the new vaccination requirement for elected officials attending parliament in person. Uh, no, not, uh, not in today. Citing parliamentary privilege, last week Strahl told the Toronto Star he believes unvaccinated parliamentarians should not be kept from working in the House of Commons. 
And in tweets, he has previously called Justin Trudeau's federal vaccine mandate discriminatory. They're supposed to have a choice. Everyone's supposed to have a choice. They should be in there and they should be, they should be vaccinated. But you are going to get the other side of it. If you want us to get vaccinated, why, don't, why aren't you? CDC approved vaccination. For weeks now, without complaints, politicians, the public and journalists have been showing their vaccine card to get into the legislature in Victoria. And come November 22nd, when MPs gather in this chamber, Mark Strahl, despite his opposition to the vaccine requirement, has told us he will take part. Quote, no matter what form the upcoming session of Parliament takes. Amaragahi, Global News. All right, let's take a look at our latest COVID-19 numbers now. We have 649 new cases in the province. That brings our total since testing began to nearly 201,000. There have been 13 COVID-related deaths in the past 24 hours, including two people in their 30s. 365 people are in hospital with 143 people in ICUs. There are more than 5,100 active cases in B.C. right now. And 83.9% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. For more analysis on those numbers, let's bring in Keith Baldry in Victoria. Uh, the 13 deaths in 24 hours, Keith, and two people in their 30s. And you have some numbers mm -hmm. now which suggest deaths among young people are on the rise. Yes, it's getting more serious for young people, particularly unvaccinated young people. I've noticed a real sharp uptick in uh, deaths amongst people in their 30s. We went months without really seeing the numbers move for people in their 20s or 30s. That all changed at the beginning of September. Take a look at the last seven weeks worth of data and the cases. For 20 to 29-year-olds, we had three people die in that time frame from September 4th to October 21st, 150% increase. But look at what's going on with 30-year-olds. 12 people passed away. That's a 75% increase when we had... 14 people died to 16 people died in the 30s for the longest period of time. That suddenly number has suddenly accelerated. It's a, a cause for concern. And the uh, we assume pretty well everyone here is unvaccinated. That's because every day we get the stats of ICU cases. Those are the people most likely to die of COVID-19. And every day we're given stats about people under the age of 50. For today, today, for example, 35 people in ICU, 34 of them are unvaccinated. So people dying in their 30s are largely unvaccinated people, again, dying in ICUs. All right, Keith, uh, you've also got some information about a young child who is battling COVID-19 mm. in the ICU right now. Yes, always, always worrisome when a young child goes into the ICU. That means they're suffering from a severe form of COVID-19. All I can tell you about this particular child, uh, they are not of, of school age. They are less than six years old. Again, in this time frame, September 4th to, to yesterday, we saw an increase of six, uh, six amongst kids under the age of 10 having to go into ICU. Thankfully, no one's passed away, but it's always troubling when you see a child in critical care. Definitely is. All right, thanks for that, Keith. A group representing several Vancouver Island First Nations is calling for changes to the Tofino Harbour following two recent float plane crashes. The Nuchalneth Tribal Council says safety upgrades must be implemented in the harbour in order to prevent similar accidents from happening there again. Nithu Karacha reports. Very, very concerning and we know that the outcome could have easily been far worse. Seeking a safer harbour, the Nuchalnith Tribal Council is urging Transport Canada to take action after two float plane crashes in less than three months. This is concerning as it's in very, very similar locations. We know the high traffic that happens in the area. 
The latest happening Monday when a float plane with five passengers flipped and started to sink after clipping a water taxi during the landing. Longtime Housett resident Floyd Campbell Jr. saw it happen. I could hear the propeller hit the side of the boat. And I knew the guy driving the boat, one of my good friends. I thought I was watching one of my good friends die right in front of me. He says his son Stanley ran over to help. He jumped on the back of Ahu's Hakum and uh, helped an elderly lady off the wing of the plane onto the boat. Most were pulled to safety by another man, a Housett skipper, Ken Brown, who's being praised as selfless and heroic. I had the people that I was rescuing. My boat tucked right in enough that I I could just start grabbing them. But with all this coming after a Cessna overturned in shallow water on July 26th after losing control on takeoff, nearly drowning the tribal council president, they are making a plea. We know that there's going to be an investigation. Within that investigation, uh, we're hoping that there will also be recommendations. And we're hoping those recommendations are taken seriously. But we ask for Transport Canada to not wait not wait for those recommendations and to start doing their own work right now. Global News reached out to Transport Canada for comment but did not receive a response by deadline. We would like to see immediate action, of course. This is very scary, very worrisome. Luckily, in both incidents, everyone on board was rescued. But there is concern without updated regulations. That won't be the case if it happens again. Nitu Garcha, Global News. Well, we're in for some wild weather this weekend. Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement for parts of the south coast. Let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with more on what we can expect. Christy? Sophie, this will likely be changed over to a wind warning later tomorrow, but this is more of a heads up at this point. But this is a major storm that's set to push in, and it really is intensifying rapidly and has the potential of being quite a significant uh, storm in that it could bring damaging winds to our region. So Sunday is when it pushes in, but the more impactful period will be sort of Sunday night into Monday. Here's a look at what we're forecasting so far. Outer coast, 100 plus kilometer an hour winds. That's for the northern section as well. Intercoast up to 90 and for Metro Vancouver, Western sections and Howe Sound up to 80. When I come back, we're going to talk about the timeline for each region because it will be different and we'll also talk about the impacts for our area, what you can expect. All right. Thanks, Christy. We'll talk to you in a bit. Well, today is the final day of Variety Week here on Global and we've met some incredible kids which has led to incredible support from you, our viewers. It's also led to big support from our matching sponsors like Bilo Foods. Tonight, Bilo will double your donations up to $100,000. So take advantage of their generosity and call 310Kids now to donate to Variety. And coming up later on the news hour, we will introduce you to Kelly, a remarkable 11-year-old who, among other challenges, is legally blind. But that doesn't stop him from riding his new adaptive tricycle. And he is quite a character. You'll want to meet him. This is all made possible thanks to you, our donors, and Variety. The pandemic recovery is underway, but a stubborn labor shortage still getting in the way. Businesses are having to get creative to attract new staff, and some are taking extreme measures. The Vancouver restaurant offering big bucks for a dishwasher. Next on the News Hour. Lost at sea, a warning for boaters after dozens of containers fall overboard in the Juan de Fuca Strait. That's later. Plus, a young boy gets the best gift of all, the ability to play just like the other kids. How your donations have made all the difference later on the news hour. 
Right now, BC businesses starved for staff are having to get creative with cash signing bonuses and premium pay for entry-level gigs. Madagahi shows us where job seekers can clean up with no experience required and why others in the industry say the extreme offer is not sustainable. It's a quaint local restaurant, described by some as perhaps one of the best Indian restaurants in Vancouver. But on Friday, it was something completely off the menu, placing the Hondi Grill in Kitsilano in news articles and Reddit streams across the country. The industry calls this area of a restaurant the dish pit. A job that always needs more credit to restaurant operations. And apart from this, there's not much room for creativity or, let's face it, career advancement. Which is why a job at Hondi Grill advertised with permanent full-time status, little experience, and a more than modest salary surprised people because of its title line. And that's why I guess it's very newsworthy because, no, that's certainly not the case that someone's going to be paid $25 an hour to wash dishes. But I think it reflects just how uh, desperate our industry is right now to attract labour. According to a recent Restaurants Canada survey of its members, 9 out of 10 Canadian restaurants say they could use more staff. Imagine the typical restaurant worker before the pandemic might have said to themselves, oh, I really like working in a restaurant. There's no way I want an office job because that's a boring nine to five. But nowadays, an office job is a lot of the time, it's uh, four days a week working remotely. Admittedly, employers have come to accept that paying workers minimum wage in this industry may be a thing of the past. But the salary offered for the dishwasher position at the Hondi Grill is still raising eyebrows. If you're a $50,000 as a dishwasher, that's the entry job. What are you going to pay your second cook? What are you going to pay your first cook? Chef to party, sous chef, and keep going up until the chef. That means that I'm charging you $95 to $100 for a plate of salmon. It's impossible to sustain. Now, I had a brief conversation with the owner, and perhaps she's tired of the publicity and didn't want to do an interview, but did say that the job has been filled and that ad no longer exists. Emadagahi, Global News. Coming up, humpback comeback. We're almost double what we had last year. The baby boom that surprised veteran whale watchers. Plus, you're crossing dangerous thresholds. Why some say BC's old growth forest could be the key to fighting climate change. Steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, where you will find some volume, though, is on the east-west connector through Richmond between Knight and the S-curve. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy staying in your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Ridge. It's been a record-breaking year for humpback births in the Salish Sea, with more than 20 calves sighted off the Washington and B.C. coasts. Kylie Stanton has more on what's driving the unprecedented baby boom and why whale watchers are urging extra caution on the water. They're everywhere. Incredible. It's being called the humpback comeback. The number of whales making their way to the Salish Sea on the rise for the past two decades. But this year, a new record. Just the sheer number of babies that we're seeing in 2021 is something that 
I certainly was not expecting going into this season. According to the Center for Whale Research, 21 calves have been photographed and documented throughout inland Washington and British Columbia. That's the highest annual number on record for the region, surpassing 2020 when 11 calves were born. So we're almost double what we had last year, and last year was a really great year as well. It all started with Big Mama, the first whale documented back in 1997. Since then, the species has been migrating each summer to feed in the nutrient-rich waters off BC's coast, slowly rebuilding the population. That really seems to be what it is, is as humpbacks rediscover the area, others are following them. And there seems to be enough food here to entice them to make it a regular part of their migration. Fall is peak of humpback whale activity in the Salish Sea, their last feeding opportunity before swimming roughly 5,000 kilometers to their breeding grounds near Hawaii, Mexico and Central America, where they mate and give birth before making their return. And if there's a calf in tow, naturalists breathe a collective sigh of relief. Because you never know, right, if both mom and calf are going to make it back. There are several theories behind the resurgence. That is the million dollar question. It's possibly linked to an abundance of food for the whales, or it could be as simple as the growing adult whale population producing more calves. But one thing is certain. Their presence creates a hazard for those on the water, and boaters need to not only be aware, but also keep their distance. Legally, it is 100 metres, but 200 metres keeps things much simpler as well. After all, the better protected they are, the better researchers can track the trend. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, as we approach the upcoming International Climate Change Summit in Scotland next month, a BC environmental group says the best thing this province can do when it comes to its coastal rainforests is nothing. The Sierra Club says science proves our coastal forests should be preserved above all. As Paul Johnson reports, the industry has a different perspective. Chances are you've heard of the Paris Climate Summit in 2015. Its outcomes have been intensely debated since. Now, as world leaders prepare for its successor, starting in Glasgow next week, conservationists in BC say if Victoria is really serious about climate and carbon, it ought to do more to protect our oldest forests the kind that people have been arguing over in places like Ferry Creek. Huge carbon amounts accumulated over time, ongoing sequestration, that's like money in the bank with a decent interest rate. We have to preserve that. Jens Weeding is with the Sierra Club of BC, who recently delivered a petition to Premier Horgan signed by over 260,000 people from around the world calling on BC to step up its protection of our oldest and biggest trees as a safeguard against climate change. People are aware that these are among the most endangered old-growth forests on the planet. They store record high amounts of carbon. BC's coastal forest is actually a temperate rainforest and it has the unique capability of being able to generate more biomass per hectare than any other kind of forest in the world. This is why conservationists say, in terms of storing carbon, it's best to leave them standing. But industry has its own take on that position. Well, what about having young forests that are growing and all they do is sequester carbon from the atmosphere? So that's, that's one of the arguments for having a dynamic forest 
industry that is replanting in BC three trees for every one tree that's harvested. While the tremendous ability of our rainforests to generate huge trees is undisputed, whether keeping old trees or replanting young ones is the best strategy for hitting carbon goals is much debated. And the world is watching what BC chooses to do with its massive and natural carbon removal system. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, a whole new level of freedom. We even go. How an 11-year-old boy can now play just like the other kids, thanks to variety. Plus, a new test for concussions being developed in Alberta. Why it could be a game changer for athletes. This portion of the program is brought to you in part by Buy Low Foods. Hi. I'm Callie Weston. I'm the CEO of Variety Hi. BC, and I'm here to present you with your very own Sunshine Family van. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, there we go. Come on. So, this is an emotional moment on Global News Morning today as Variety was able to make a surprise presentation that'll make life so much easier for an East Vancouver family. Eight year old Ilya has cerebral palsy and a metabolic disease that leaves him with weak muscles. Currently, he takes transit or a cab to get to school or medical appointments, so having this modified vehicle will be a game changer for the family. Well, every child wants the chance to run and jump and play, but for some kids, that's a lot harder, harder than others. Cognitive and physical challenges can mean children might require specialized equipment like adaptive bicycles, which come with a much higher price tag than what you see at your local store. Thankfully, Variety was able to step in and help Kelly, who is legally blind, get his very own adaptive trike. Well, you want to be a pop star, maybe? Yes. And yeah. a janitor. And, and a, a janitor. And a hockey player. And a hockey player. Kelly has big plans for his future, regardless of some of the obstacles life has thrown his way. He was born without a pituitary gland, so his body cannot properly produce hormones. He actually gets medication um, daily just so that he can survive. Um, but I'm fine. But you're totally fine, and that's the best part. How's that feel? Good. I'm going to help you with it. Kelly also has ASD and is legally blind. But that does not stop him from doing things typical 11-year-olds do, like riding a bike. We actually got hooked up with the bike through um, the physiotherapist at <laughs> Kelly's school. <laughs> Kelly hopped on that bike and like took off down the street and I went running after him. And it was like this whole new level of freedom for him that he didn't experience before. Away we go. But Kelly's mom knew getting a bike for her son was not going to be easy. When a person has uh, disabilities, that we they don't always have access to the same things that other people take for granted, right? So you can go to Canadian Tire and you can get a bike for your kid for a hundred bucks or less, and that wasn't an option for us. Madison applied to Variety for a grant to help cover the cost of a specialized bike. And even during the financial uncertainty of the pandemic, Variety was able to provide Kelly's family with his very own adaptive bike. When they told us we were getting it, it was, I, I cried. <laughs> it was just like, it was unreal. 
So. Why did you cry? Because I was so happy. Because I know there's a lot of people like you. us out there that could really use these things. All kinds of equipment, all kinds of things that just make our lives better. And they give us freedom and there, there. allow us to enjoy the things that it's we right. don't always get to enjoy otherwise, right? <laughs> that was good timing. Kelly's the best. Adaptive bikes like Kelly's can cost $4,000. So please help Variety provide funding for more bikes so that kids can just be kids. Call now to 310KIDS, and as a bonus, your donations will be matched up to $100,000 by Buy Low Foods when you call during tonight's news hour, which means one bike will be two bikes for kids. So donate now, 310KIDS. In Health Matters tonight, head injuries have become a hot-button issue in sports with more rules and protocols dedicated to protecting the brain. As Eric Bay tells us, a pair of University of Lethbridge researchers are working on technology to better diagnose concussions through urine. Peeing into a cup might soon become commonplace at your local sports complex. No, it's not checking for steroids, but concussions. Researchers at the universities of Lethbridge and Calgary have developed a test that can determine if an athlete is concussed by examining small molecules called metabolites in their urine. We're looking at the panel of metabolites we can assess in the body's urine um, to see if any of those metabolite levels are changing on a quantitative level uh, in response to the impact of the head or that traumatic brain injury in order to determine whether a person was concussed or not. Researchers Dr. Tony Montina and Dr. Gerlinda Metz believe combining urinary analysis with current concussion detection methods will create a more accurate and efficient process for determining whether a brain injury has occurred. We have an opportunity to use urine, which is highly accessible and non-invasive. It's readily, readily available on the field, so we can do quick testing, right, if something happened, an incident happened. The focus on head injuries in sports has grown considerably. Lethbridge Minor Hockey Association General Manager Keith Hitchcock says the organization is seeing fewer concussions on the ice thanks to increased rules and injury protocols. They're minor hockey athletes, but they do have a 12-year career in just minor hockey. And it goes, I mean, the career lasts long, much longer than that. You don't want long-term side effects with head injuries. The hope is this new technology will better identify head injuries and maybe even improve recovery. Use some of these markers as a way to monitor rehabilitation strategies with the idea that as you're being treated, your physician should be able to personalize those treatments based on the response of whether that treatment is effective for you as an individual or not. The research is still in its early stages and will now be tested on a wider demographic to try and create parameters for age and gender. Eric Bay, Global News. Just ahead, lost at sea. Some of them float high, some of them float just at the surface. Dozens of shipping containers drift off the B.C. coast. We'll tell you how they got there. Also ahead, hockey night in Abbotsford as the Baby Canucks prepare for their home opener. Two lanes south and one lane north right now over at the Lionsgate Bridge. That's why it is so busy in both directions along Georgia Street and through the Stanley Park Causeway. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. 
Boaters are being warned of a major marine hazard after 40 containers went overboard from a Vancouver-bound cargo ship. It happened 38 nautical miles west of the entrance to the Strait of Juan de Fuca. The MV Zim Kingston was healing in the heavy swells and the containers toppled into the sea. At this point, there's no word on what those containers were carrying. The U.S. Coast Guard says they're now monitoring 35 of those containers. Well, these are usually 40-foot containers, and depending on the packaging, some of them float high, some of them float just at the surface, and some float just below the surface. And again, it's how they're packaged. And the U.S. Coast Guard overflew the uh, site about uh, 11.30 this morning, and they only could see eight containers out of the 40. That doesn't mean they're not there. Uh, they could have drifted over a large area, and some of those could be just slightly submerged. And they're making their way to the B.C. coast. Rough weather, uh, no doubt a factor in that incident. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joining us now. You mm -hmm. talked about that special weather statement probably turning into a full-fledged mm -hmm. warning tomorrow, Christy. Yeah, we're absolutely concerned about this and we don't want to scare anyone, but wind warnings can be dangerous. And so we really want to make sure that everyone's aware of it. The, the system that we saw yesterday was a bomb cyclone, but it didn't move on shore. This one is expected to be a bomb cyclone as well, potentially even stronger, and it is going to make its way on shore. Here's a look at the concerns. So power outages, absolutely. Down trees, that's the biggest concern. Uh, localized flooding, storm surge as well. Be very careful when you're near the waters edge, ferry delays and cancellations. Here's a timeline. So for Sunday morning, this is for the strongest winds to begin, not when we're going to see the strongest winds, but then when the winds will pick up. North and West Vancouver Island tomorrow morning, eastern sections tomorrow afternoon, and for Metro Vancouver, Greater Victoria, Southern Gulf Islands Sunday night. But those strong winds will persist into our Monday. And again, these are the areas that we're watching. For Metro Vancouver, it's just areas near the water, western sections, House Sound, and certainly all of Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast. Again, gusts up to 80 kilometers an hour for Metro Vancouver. But a lot of this also depends on where the low pressure center itself tracks. Right now, it's tracking for the northern part of Vancouver Island and we'll be watching that closely. That's why I'm really urging everyone to tune in over the weekend for more details on the track of that low and where we're expecting the strongest winds and when. Tomorrow, we're expecting rainfall in the morning, drier in the afternoon. Again, it's Sunday into Monday, especially for our region, Sunday night into Monday, that we're expecting the more damaging winds. So it's a time now to be prepared. Make sure you have all your uh, cell phones charged up, your uh, candles and batteries all charged up. Uh, tonight's central windows weather window is a nice bright one because of the dire <laughs> situation in the uh, forecast. This is from Kamloops. Thank you to Sue for sharing that bright picture with us. That's beautiful. Luckily, I have a lot of uh, inside household chores to do this weekend. So, And now I'm happy I bought that flashlight the other day. You did not. Seriously. No, I, really? I got a new flashlight recently because I didn't have one. All right. Well, make sure it's charged up and you have batteries. For I do both. What uh, do you have for us in sports? Oh, uh, among the uh, things I have is the uh, first home game for the Abbotsford Canucks, who arrived to this. I think that's Cool in the Gang celebration. I think that's what it is. I think it's Cool in the Good Gang. Suits on. Uh, we'll take a look at the Canucks farm team, which is, of course, down Abbey Road. So I've had it up to here with you. I'm going to give you a damn good threshing. 
All right, also ahead, satellite debris. You put milk in your ice cream. Well, that's like a milkshake. It wasn't, but yes, I know. I can see why you'd come to that conclusion. Yes. Just weird things that we like to do. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how we got on this subject. Weird culinary things that we like to do. Um, the uh, Vancouver Canucks first home game is next Tuesday against Minnesota. But tonight in Abbotsford, the baby Canucks will play their first home game against Henderson, Nevada, which is the Golden Knights farm team. Never has there been this much interest in the Vancouver Canucks farm team. In the past, they've been located in such exotic locales as Milwaukee, Syracuse, and Utica, even Winnipeg. But now they are literally in Vancouver's backyard. So fans get to see the Canucks' future live and in person. It's got to be nice for the fans. Now they get to hopefully see the building, you know, and see us and the sense of the younger guys coming in, playing games, and then getting to see them work their way up to Vancouver in the future. And the team has local content. Abbotsford's Noah Juleson, just acquired earlier this month from the Florida Panthers, is literally moving back home. You know, finally feeling settled. Uh, you know, I'm in, in my house where, uh, where I bought uh, three years ago, so I'm excited to be in there and settle down and just excited to get going at home. It's a typical AHL mix of players, some who are just getting their pro career started, like teenager Danila Klimovich, and veterans like Phil DiGiuseppe, who's played over 200 NHL games but was a late cut at camp. And Abbotsford has its first win in franchise history. I've been at the top, I've been at the bottom, so, um, you know, obviously I'm eight years in, so it's transitioning to a leadership role, which is pretty cool for me because I still feel like I'm young, but trying to embody it and, and grow in, into a better leader every day. And that first impression on the Abbotsford fans, it's ultra important to the team. I want them to show first and foremost that we work, you know, and that's, I think anybody can get behind that. There's going to be nights where you're going to be successful and unsuccessful, and that's part of the American Hockey League and developing hockey players. And I hope that the fans can, uh, you know, enjoy that and come out and see a kind of a working class group go to, go to work, so to speak. All right, tomorrow night the Canucks will be playing here in Seattle's Climate Pledge Arena, which is the old key arena refurbished for just over $1 billion. They actually had to put the roof up on stilts to excavate more space for a bigger arena. There are enough seats for 17,459 fans. And in the locker room right there, the logo's on the ceiling, not on the floor, so nobody can step on it. There's a concert tonight. I think it's Coldplay, and then the Canucks and Kraken will play tomorrow. There you go. The uh, shockwave from the Vancouver Whitecaps comeback win against Portland on Wednesday is still reverberating around Major League Soccer. It put the Caps in a playoff spot for now. They play San Jose tomorrow night in San Jose. Uh, busy night tomorrow. Canucks, Whitecaps, and BC Lions are all playing. Vanny Sartini says the win on Wednesday even caught the attention of peripheral fans. Received a lot of text message. Uh, the next day, even from guys and from people from Vancouver that uh, maybe don't follow the Whitecaps too much, but they were so pumped and excited by the performance of the guys in the second half that I think that uh, it was fantastic. We celebrated Wednesday night, uh, not even too much because we were so tired that we weren't able to celebrate. But uh, now we are ready to, to do it again. And uh, because the only way to give meaning on what we did uh, Wednesday night to make points in the next game. Of course, Sartini should have a capital S. Anyway, one more thing about uh, Vanny Sartini, one thing he likes to do 
Unlike some pro coaches, he doesn't think about the game and the team 24-7. He says he has a coaching life and he has a regular life and they are very well balanced. I'm European. I, I, I work to live. I don't live to work. So that's, uh, if you don't relax, if you don't rest, if you think that uh, it, it has to be a 24-hour job, no, you're going to burn out. I love this guy. Love I this guy. do too. Juggler Field. The new home for Notre Dame's football team. It took a long time to build this field. It looks great. This was their first game today. Anthony Amenta going for the long touchdown. They beat uh, U.S. Minster 40-9. One of the guys who's been around Notre Dame football forever is George Oswald. He's glad he's there to see the new field. Uh, we feel we have one of the best high school facilities now uh, in Canada. And uh, we would even challenge some of the American high schools. We're, we're happy to be here. The kids are happy, and on my 75th birthday, it couldn't be a better day. Happy, happy birthday. birthday, George. There you go. All right, Squire has satellite debris right after a break, plus the big total. How much did we raise for kids across the province during Variety Week? 310 kids. Let's bring that total higher. All right, we worked hard all week so we could have satellite debris. Yes, it's a very good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, actually. Okay, our first commercial features the legendary John Cleese, and it's for eyeglasses, or a lack of, in his case. Right. Please insert the key. Yes, yes, I am inserting it, thank you. Come on. Please insert the key. I have inserted it, you pretend. Incorrect starting procedure. Right, this is your last warning. I'll count to three. One, two. Sorry, I didn't get that. Right, that's it. Don't say I didn't warn you. I've had it up to here with you. I'm going to give you a damn good threshing. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Nasty little... Dusty bonnet there. Oh, look! It's called a bonnet? A bonnet and a boot. And a boot, that's And a right. boot, yes. Okay, so now this is a dog who clearly loves music. You can tell by his face when the person with him is playing guitar. Watch. Also, a little bit of a subliminal Bud Light in, in yeah. that one, too. But anyway, there you Kinda go. Kind of like a head, a head thing. He did. He, he was. He was, like you said, he was doing a bit of chair dancing there. Uh, okay, this last one is, um, doesn't matter how old you are, you can always flirt and think about flirting and things like that. You'll really? see what I mean. Yes. 
take it from me. You'll see what I mean. Hey, you're late again. Four minutes. You're always late the exact amount of time. You're not late. Uh, no, you're always late. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nine o'clock, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. Shh, don't stare. You just took a you're, quick look. You're ogling her. Watch me. Who's early for once? Look what the cat dragged in. Yeah, here's your paper. You can't stare at her dressed like that. Come on, shape up a little. Oh, don't bother me. Whoa, look at you. Oh, something landed on your head. You oh. are a left riot, aren't you? <laughs> Probably. Sharp She's here again. She must have a reason. What? Who's that? Not much of a dresser. You know, it's a bad idea to get a toupee from mail order. This is top of the line, costs a lot of money. Uh, excuse me, it's so crowded here. Would you mind terribly if I sat down? Oh, no, go right ahead. My name's Jack, by the way. What's yours? I'm Grace. Glad to meet you. Doesn't even know her. Oh, you wanted the same thing I did. <laughs> Fate. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. She must like beards. You should have put that thing on your chin instead of your head. Jack Swap. Check that out. Watch and learn, fellas. Yeah, Jack knew what he was doing. All right, uh, we are drawing to the end of Variety Week, and you have shown your heart once again. You've shown no child should go without the life-altering equipment and services they need, and you've made certain hundreds of kids have access to Variety funding. Thanks to your generous support, we've raised almost $1.9 million. That can help 754 kids. Thank you so much, BC. It's not over yet. Call 310 Kids. There's still time. The phone line's open until midnight Saturday night. So if you haven't done it yet, please do so. And thank you so much. That's all the time we have. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay dry. Stay safe.